blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, digital assets, decentralization, mining, wallets, smart contracts. The list of words added to our lexicon continues to grow at an amazing pace. These words are part of a revolution that stands to change the internet, e-commerce, and in fact, our very society. Today on the show, I sit down with Professor Cardano, co-founder of CNFT.io. It's going to help us understand this world of NFTs. So before we get into the discussion with Professor Cardano, I think it might be interesting to share a statistic. So in 2020, there were $100 million traded in NFTs in 2020 alone. That number exploded in 2021 to over $22 billion. That's NFTs alone traded in 2021. And the number continues to grow. Now, CNFT.io was a marketplace created, the first ever marketplace created for the Cardano blockchain. That's an interesting piece of information. And if you don't understand that yet, just stay tuned. We'll be back to explain more with Professor Cardano. MongoDB World is returning to New York City. MongoDB World 2022, the future runs on MongoDB. It's a conference for creators, disruptors, and transformers of tomorrow. You can register today. Head on over to mongodb.com world-2022. Join us from June 7th through the 9th for three days of announcement-packed keynotes, hands-on workshops, deep-dive technical sessions that'll give you the tools you need to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. We've got a special offer for you, folks. There's a, a discount code. It's podcast. Use the code podcast to get 25% off the currently already discounted rate. Head on over to mongodb.com slash world 2022. Remember to use the code podcast for your special discount. Hello, my name is Professor Cardano. I'm a founder of CNFT.io a marketplace that trades NFTs on the Cardano blockchain. So uh, CNFT.io was a marketplace that was founded on the fact that NFTs in other blockchains had exploded and NFTs on Cardano were imminent. Um, it was called the Mary Hard Fork. And this meant that the uh, metadata was available to be minted on on the blockchain as, a, as an asset. And... We didn't see anyone else in the space talking about a marketplace or really even talking about NFTs for a long while. So in our in the background, we thought to ourselves, how do we become a utility for people on Cardano to be able to trade NFTs? And the community really thought that you needed to have a thing called smart contracts, which would be able to manage uh, NFT sales. But we actually created a platform before the smart contract were released. And this and basically enabled us to almost act as an escrow for users to trade their NFTs um, in kind of a centralized way. Um, and obviously, this is where sort of Mongo comes in. And we use the chain information and also a traditional database to be able to run this escrow service and trade NFTs across the entire globe. And we launched on the 26th of July and smart contracts didn't actually come to Cardano until I believe it was around September time. Um, and at this point, there was no smart wallet or DAP connector wallet um, that was even available. 
So our website really couldn't talk to any Cardano wallets, such as MetaMask, if, if you're on the Cardano blockchain. Uh, sorry, the Ethereum blockchain, you might have heard of MetaMask. And obviously, we, we were playing catch up with the other people needed to, the other developers needed to catch up with with us and develop out these new features and, and tools. So we obviously had a, a major influx of, of users using the escrow service. The worst thing about an escrow service, though, was that users would have to manually send their assets. So a customer, for example, would send in a payment for that, like you are on any any shop such as Amazon. You'd send in your payment and you'd expect to re- receive something back. But we would rely on the seller to send that asset to our customer who has just paid for it. And obviously, we, we collect the payment and we collect the asset. And then we usually would go through and, and we would send the asset to the right place, send the uh, ADA or the, the funds to the right place. And obviously, of course, we would take our cart as, as obviously the business does. And the smart contract piece, the smart contract basically enables users to automate the process. So instead of really having to send it at the end of the process, you're really sending the asset at the beginning of the process. So when you click to list an asset now, um, you're basically just presented with a, a pop-up, like I was talking about these smart wallets. Um, you're presented with a pop-up and we collect all that data and we say um, you need to sign sign this transaction, which will basically send your asset into the smart contract. And then the smart contract really is just saying, if we receive, say, 100 ADA for your listed asset, we will complete the trade for you on your behalf and we will send the money to you directly. So you don't need to, it could be 3 a.m. wherever you are in the world and someone could pay for your asset and that asset would automatically be sent to you um, with whatever wallet you've used to, to list it with. There's a few other things as well that we had issues with at the very beginning, and it was more of an educational piece for the wider community um, and people understanding how blockchains work and how um, exchanges work, such as Coinbase and Binance. And what the issue was is that sometimes people would send ADA or send assets, or sorry, they would, they would send the ADA from the exchange directly to a wallet address that we've presented to them. But we would obviously complete the trade because we've received the the funds in and because there's no way to tell that it's come from the exchange. But we would send back the asset to the exchange. And obviously, these exchanges aren't, aren't wallets that are directly connected to the Cardano node or the Cardano blockchain. So when they receive back into the, the pot of, um, how do you say, uh, when the asset is received back to the exchange, the asset kind of goes into this big pot or the, the abyss where your receiver address isn't really associated to your profile on the exchange. So we had a lot of users who sent, sent ass or paid for assets via an exchange and then received their asset as they should do. But obviously they didn't receive their asset into their wallet because the exchanges do not support NFTs. Um, but you may, you may see now that Binance and Coinbase and stuff support NFTs, but they don't actually support Cardano NFTs. They only support Ethereum-based NFTs at the moment. Um, and maybe one day they might support more more NFTs. And this is where um, I think people forget that there's other blockchains out there that have the ability to have NFTs. And when you hear about NFTs in the mainstream media, they are talking directly about Ethereum NFTs. Um, and this is kind of one of our missions as, as a Cardano-based based project is to educate people in the fact that there is other solutions out there. Um, and obviously Cardano boasts low transaction fees. Just to name, just to name one of of many many uh, great features that the blockchain has. 
So obviously with his experience, he's familiar with many of the terms that we've, we've read in the introduction, proof of stake, proof of work, blockchain, all of these things. I asked him to consider that maybe some of the listeners may not be very familiar with even some of the most basic terms. And let's provide some definitions. So a blockchain really simply is a bunch of computers or a bunch of uh, nodes that are all connected to one another. And there's different blockchains um, out there. And obviously, you may have heard of some of the biggest ones, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot. And they all, they're all very similar in nature, but they all are actually very different as well. And you may have heard of the term proof of stake and proof of work. But for example, Bitcoin is proof of work. And when you mine a Bitcoin, you're solving a, an equation to um, receive a block. And a block is of a certain size. And for the uh, effort and power that you put into that um, equation that you're solving, you will receive back a reward. And that's how the blockchain network, uh, the, sorry, the Bitcoin blockchain works. For example, on Cardano, it's a proof of stake. So if you hold ADA, which is the Cardano ticker, you're staking it to a stake pool. And depending on the, the level of Cardano you hold, is depending on the reward you receive back. So you don't actually have to do anything. You just stake your ADA and your ADA is, there's a snapshot taken um, every epoch, which is around five days. And what happens is, say for example, you have 100,000 ADA in your wallet. Um, you will receive a reward in the next epoch for the entirety of the pool and the effort that the pool has made. So if the pool, for example, is making transactions or, or working for the Cardano network, that pool is rewarded. And then that pool in turn is rewarding all of its stakers. And that's how the proof of stake works. So in, in the proof of stake network, uh, there is, there is I, I've submitted a transaction and basically the, the block is, there's blocks within inside the epoch and the transaction is submitted to the, to the uh, DB sync server. And um, there's a listener that's looking out for this transaction. And once the blocks received it, because the chain can only accept amount, X amount of uh, transactions per block. I, I believe the number is around, it's like 257 transactions a second at the moment. On average, I think Cardano can, can handle, um, which is quite low for, for a blockchain, I, I would say. And at the moment, there is, just going off on the side note, there is, uh, there is some congestion on, on the blockchain right now. And it's hurting a lot of people because what I think has happened is they've, they've bought in these smart contracts and um, the smart contract being submitted to the transaction is of a larger size than just a normal transaction. So when you're when you're sending these smart contracts, for example, on our marketplace, we're obviously doing a lot of volume, and then there's other utility on on the chain as well that are also submitting these. So this is where the congestion's coming in. And I know the Cardano blockchain are looking into extending the uh, the load and the ability to handle these uh, these large volumes or larger transaction sizes. And obviously, when the transaction size is a little bit larger, you have to pay a little bit more of a fee, but it's nowhere near the, the fee size. And you might have heard the term gas fee. Uh, we just call it transaction fee on Cardano. And they're very similar. Obviously, gas fees are, are maybe about $60. On Cardano, it's probably about a dollar, depending on the value of, the, of Cardano, obviously. Um, and it could go up and down. So if I get this correct, there's value in the larger number of transactions associated with a stake pool. And in order to get 
a transaction added to the pool, there's some type of validation done on entry? So when you submit a transaction, uh, it goes directly into the, the Cardano ecosystem. A, a pool will be used or pool slash nodes is probably the, the right sort of way to look at it. And one of these one of these pools will use will be used to submit that transaction onto the block. And that's how the reward is paid out. So obviously the more the more work the node does and, and stuff, then the reward is paid out to that block. And then at the end of each epoch, depending on what your percentage of your reward is, you'll get a percentage of all that hard work that the nodes put into it. Okay, so at this point, I'm curious about the validation capabilities of Cardano. Uh, in a conventional blockchain like Bitcoin, you have a cryptographic hash that can be solved to a certain degree in order to validate the current transaction. How does that work with Cardano? Yeah. Yeah, so Cardano has a um, similar. Um, they have uh, utilities such as Cardano Scan um, or the Cardano Blockchain Explorer. And you, you're presenting, whenever you make a transaction, there is a transaction ID associated to that transaction. So you can validate that that transaction has, has happened. But sometimes for our user base and our kind of use case, I guess, it's because this is maybe another term that may, many people might not have heard of, but it's a UTXO-based blockchain. And that means it's an unspent transaction blockchain. So what would happen is, say if you needed to spend $100 uh, or 100 ADA, you would send 100 ADA in, but on the transaction, you would actually see an input and an output. And what would happen is your input could be 2,000 ADA because that's the UTXO number. But what it looks like has happened is 2,000 ADA has been sent to the receiver. But then what the receiver does is actually just send back 1,900 ADA back to your address. And it sounds very, really complicated and really odd. And obviously, it just works seamlessly when you type in that amount, you type that amount in, and it, you send it, and a little fee is taken off as well. And then obviously, everything just, just works. But when you really dive deeper into the transaction, you can see how that's worked and how that's split up. Um, and you may also see like assets and stuff move back and forth between the transactions. So when you're, when you're sending stuff, your aid is kind of connected to these native assets and um, for our users, it's, it's particularly confusing when you're trying to, like our support team, when they try to debug issues and stuff, they find it quite difficult to, the, the customer finds it quite difficult to understand exactly how, how we, we convey that message to them. Um, because obviously they can see that transaction come out or that large volume of ADA come out of their wallet and then it returns back in. But it's not as clear as it, it should be, I guess, in my opinion. Okay, so to bring this into focus in the context of MongoDB, it might be interesting to talk a little bit about the stack and some of the components that uh, go into the infrastructure that make up CNFT.io. Where does MongoDB come into the picture? Yeah, so absolutely. We, we use a thing called DBSync, which Cardano uses, and that's the whole, the, that's the whole blockchain from the moment it started and you obviously sync up these uh, DB sync servers. And then when when we use Mongo on CNFT, we connect Mongo to our DB sync servers. And if a user interacts with the site, you can kind of look at it as a more traditional site where all you're doing is you're listing something for sale. And we're using Mongo to display that information to the user who potentially might buy a listing. But we're, what we're doing is we're pulling the data live from the chain 
And then we might be doing some caching somewhere for like, for example, the images of the NFTs or the videos or whatever they might be. They are hosted on a 99% of the time on IPFS. And we, we pull that from IPFS, the image, so we can display something for the user to actually see and, and, and kind of feel. And all that data is pulled from the chain as well. And we put that into a listing table on Mongo. And that's how we display the listings on CNFT. So let's continue to break it down. Let's talk about NFTs. What exactly is an NFT? Okay, good question. I, the way I sort of like to do it is I like to describe it like I'm describing it to my mum, and I, I don't mean that in any any kind of way. The way I've described it to her is you take a Pokemon card, for example, like a physical thing, and pretend that image is on on the internet and it's on a blockchain. Behind that is all the attributes. So let's take Charizard, for example, and it's got flames coming out of his mouth, and he's got horns, and he's orange, and he's got wings. And with inside that metadata, which is like a JSON, basically a JSON file, with inside that, it's got attributes, and it's got um, a policy ID and an asset ID. And this NFT is minted on the blockchain and becomes alive. And really simply, the thing that makes it an NFT, because it's non-fungible in nature, means that there's just one of them. So it's unique. There isn't, there isn't another one. And people can see sometimes some NFT projects have the same image on them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not non-fungible um, because they have a unique asset ID attached to them as well. So it's not just about the image. It's also about the, the metadata that lives behind behind the NFT or not really behind it, but part of the NFT. And that's sometimes what users don't really get to see is exactly what is going on sort of behind the scenes. Um, on the Cardano blockchain, we have, when you mint uh, an NFT, we you get generated a, a policy ID. And then within inside that policy ID would live all the assets. Um, so obviously the most popular drops are, are 10,000 assets. And um, you could see on Cardano Scan, for example, so what do you mean when you say drops? What is a drop? Yeah, so um, when, I, when I mean drops, like NFT drops, so people, um, for example, there's a project called Space Buds on Cardano, and they have 10,000 unique little alien characters who they're all different animals. So they're Space Buds, so they're like maybe a lion, a monkey, and they're wearing like space outfits. And each one of these assets has its own unique um, attributes such as like x-ray vision or a chest plate or a sword or a lightsaber or something something along them lines to make them all unique even you could drill down all the way down to the color um you could have a, a, a purple colored background and each one of these is unique and space buds would have its own policy id that would be say let's say one two three is their policy id obviously it's much much longer than that and then with inside that say if you have a space bud zero zero one that would have its own asset ID and that lives within inside the policy. And when, when you explore that on the chain, you're just exploring all the metadata that is associated to that. And then we're just displaying the images and all that sort of good stuff about an NFT and, and what that sort of, what that is. So I happen to be an artist. I work in acrylics. I create physical works of art. I'm wondering how does one go about minting an nft from a physical piece of art is this possible is this something that that can be done and is it something that is done on cnft.io yeah of course i think so to begin with the, the hardest part would be to get your physical 
painted asset that you've made in, in real life and get it to a quality that you could snap a picture of or, or whatever. And I, I have seen, uh, I can't remember what I was watching, but it was like a, it was a TV show in, in the UK and um, it was about validating artwork and stuff. And I remember this um, company and basically what they've done is they set up the studio and it's really, really cool. They've got a camera and they take really high def cap images really close up of this artwork. And then they, they merge it all together. So say if it's like a, I don't know, a, a massive canvas, they'll take loads of individual pictures and they'll merge it together. And then obviously it'll become a digital digital piece, like a really high high resolution piece. It doesn't, you don't have to have it high resolution, of course. You could you could snap a picture on your phone and crop it and and do whatever you like. But obviously for, for the users, I would really like to have to offer them a really high resolution quality piece, obviously because it wouldn't do your artwork any justice. So once you've got that digital digital artwork or whatever that might be, there's tools out there that can do the minting process for you. And there's also a more complicated way where you could do it on the CLI and you could mint directly you could mint directly to the chain using obviously your Cardano nodes that we spoke about. But there's a project called uh, NFT Maker and it's really, really simple. You create a project, you upload an image and you type in all the details that you would like. And you, you could um, override the, the metadata that they have. The metadata on Cardano, um, by the way, just a side note, is um, 721. And that's the standard that, that the Cardano ecosystem uses. And that way, it's easier for everyone in the community to obviously manage this metadata in whatever way. So when you upload your image and your uh, NFT title, the, the metadata will also contain that image IPFS link that we spoke about. And it will also have its title in there as well. And you use this tool and you press mint and you can either, you could send it directly to yourself or there's other solutions that you could have. So um, a thing that we, we have is a, a mint on demand. So what you can do is you can, you can set rules and parameters to say, send me X ADA. And if you send me X ADA, I will send you back a random NFT from this collection. And obviously that's for you to promote and and kind of hype up your audience and, and kind of show them what the artwork and what, what it is. Obviously, for a unique one-of-one artwork and not a, not a big drop that we're talking about, like the Space Buds, um, you'd have to upload. You'd just obviously upload one and someone could just buy that directly from you. Or you could just mint it to your own wallet and that would be your NFT. Okay. Well, thanks for your patience on this. Uh, so we start with a physical piece of art. It is digitized and then the minting process begins. And that's where the, the digital asset is stored along with a set of metadata. And this is the data that describes the piece of art and possibly its value. And uh, that's where the, the standard, I think it's the Ethereum standard 721 comes into play. Uh, do you wanna talk a little bit more about that standard? Yeah, so it's, it's technically not the Ethereum standard. Um, the Cardano, um, it was it was the Cardano community come up with the the naming of 721. Obviously, taking inspiration from the Ethereum blockchain, and they used the 721 to set the standard of the metadata on the Cardano blockchain. Okay, so that describes the standard set of fields that are associated with an NFT in the Cardano blockchain. I think I get that now. Yes, absolutely. What about portability? Uh, is it possible to move an NFT between blockchains? Can I move from Cardano to Ethereum, for example? Yes, it is. Currently, there on Cardano, there isn't 
there isn't a solution where you can move your NFTs to to other blockchains because obviously all the things that we've spoke about they're unique to that particular blockchain. So if I was to just kind of take my NFT from Cardano and try and put it on Ethereum, the wallet wouldn't even have a clue what to do with it because technically it's just a, a native asset associated to the Cardano blockchain. So uh, an Ethereum-based blockchain or an Ethereum-based wallet wouldn't be able to see what this what this is. It wouldn't even be able to, you wouldn't even be able to send it to to that blockchain. It wouldn't even just the wallets wouldn't even allow it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's kind of impossible at the moment. I I do believe one day there'll be this interoperability between blockchains and crypto as a whole, and NFTs will kind of flow flow freely. The only issue is obviously people need to cleverer people than me need to work out how to stop multiple NFTs becoming three different things on three different blockchains, and how does it live only once in this space? Because obviously you you kind of NFTs are like a niche within a niche. Um, like crypto is a niche and then you've got nfts that are a niche in themselves and then you've got each blockchain which is a niche so this is really really deep and i think people one day will will come up with a solution of how how that works or the only other alternative is maybe one blockchain might just just win like the vhs betamax kind of battle back in the day okay so let me understand this an nft is nothing more than a transaction yes absolutely of course, absolutely. That's that's kind of all it is. You're when you mint it, you're just making a transaction on the blockchain, and you're submitting this data to that transaction. Okay, so I own the NFT. Uh, it's a it's a transaction. I can prove that I own that NFT. Where does the concept of the additional utility associated with that NFT come into play, and how is that recorded and, and verified? Of course, I think. The biggest utility at the moment, and I guess when you say utility, it means like once you own it, what can you do with it? And I guess the biggest thing at the moment, and it's all in the mainstream media, is the metaverse. And I believe that's where the biggest utility for NFTs will come. Imagine having this really nice artwork that you've picked up on a on a marketplace or directly from a drop, and you own this you own this asset, but the only way really you can display it is just by sending someone a link. And obviously my friends say to me sometimes, um, well, I can just right click and press save as, but that's not proof of ownership. You don't, you don't own that. But imagine when, when the metaverses really come into their own, imagine having your own land parcel and then you have your house on your land parcel and then you, on your wall, you can put up the NFT that you own with inside your wallet and you can put that poster on the wall or your nft on the wall and then when your friends come around to see you they can see this this nft but also to add on to that the land parcel that your house is actually sat on is also an nft that proves that you own that land so it gets deeper and deeper and then other utility could be um games for example so you could have for example um uh, call of duty um obviously all the skins and stuff that they have could be nfts and you could could technically own them and and sell them amongst your friends because obviously at the moment you can't if you own a skin on on call of duty you can't you can't resell that onto someone and that's a whole new marketplace within itself and also there would be utilities such as sport sports event tickets and house deeds or title deeds proof of ownership for for things like your car or something like that because it is immutable on the blockchain it's really attractive to people 
And it just takes these big companies to start adopting and making it really, really easy for the end user to apply NFTs to their everyday life because NFTs will not be adopted mainstream if it's hard. And at the moment, there is a learning curve for this. And when the learning curve disappears, I believe it's just going to be second nature to people to have a wallet on their mobile device that they could just store NFTs. If you go into a concert, you have your ticket and it's an NFT. If you can't attend that concert, you can just sell the NFT slash ticket to her, to your friends and they know exactly that that NFT, because you can verify the policy ID that that ticket is actually genuine and real. You can verify that that actually exists and it is a real thing. So it's going to really eliminate ticket touts and ticket scammers and stuff on Ticketmaster who are trying to resell these tickets. And there's so much more to, to NFTs than just what we are right now, which is just artwork and just just kind of images and we're only we're at the tip of the iceberg right now and we're we're pushing forward and people are are innovating and coming up with really cool ideas of how nfts can be used in the future well i I love looking into the future can i ask you to wager a guess how far out are we from ubiquitous use of nfts and and cryptocurrencies if i was to guess i would say it's getting easier for people to do right now and the speed of which we work, I would like to guess three to five years, the very early stages, where maybe there's a few people who adopt it, such as big companies like maybe like Apple might adopt it. And um, that's maybe they might adopt it just with something really simple, like a proof of ownership of your phone. And then that way, the Apple wallet, for example, would support NFTs directly with inside their, their whole ecosystem. And then maybe I would say probably 10 years is, is when governments and countries across the globe start to really adopt nfts and you use it like imagine imagine your driving license is your nft so the government can just reissue an nft if you get points you have to just send your nft back and the government can just update it you can even use a smart contract for that where they the government can obviously add points to your license if you've been if you've been a bad driver and then do you know I mean all, all these things that that are immutable and and good on the blockchain there's really really strong use cases for the adoption or mass adoption of nfts and the blockchain technology that we that we have i'm hearing a lot about the metaverse and you know if i think about it in terms of the way it's described today it it feels a lot like second life or a world of warcraft maybe a little bit more immersive Um, but maybe what's your take on the metaverse as it exists today so today, I don't think it's much. There's On Ethereum, there's a couple of projects called um, Decentraland and Sandbox. And basically, people can, I don't know, they can walk around. They can, they can kind of buy clothes. They have their avatar. They can build houses. They can, they can do all this kind of, kind of stuff. So I think that's the really early stages of, of the metaverse. And Cardano is actually building out a metaverse at the moment, and it's called Pavia. And I think what will really help is if Pavia's uh, message from from doing some research into them is um, they have like an inter- interoperability kind of mindset where they would like to work across all blockchains and across all different features. So if you have a house on Decentraland or you have assets in Decentraland, it doesn't matter what metaverse you visit, you can take your house or you can take your avatar and you can go to the Cardano metaverse 
which is Pavia, or you could go to Facebook's Metaverse, or you could go to Microsoft Metaverse, what, wherever that might be. But you, it needs to be a seamless experience for the user, and you don't really need to know what blockchain you're working in or, or what ecosystem you're in. It should just be really seamless, and one one account fits all, really, for me. So the, for me personally, the Metaverse is, again, tip of the iceberg, haven't really hasn't really evolved into much. But that's why you see these massive acquisitions from from Microsoft, for example, buying Blizzard. Like that is a massive power move, and you can see that they're they're obviously making this move because they know that the world is going in this direction. Technology is up is up there and and can handle the metaverse. So I'm not too sure. Like, would I would I sit at home? Would I come home from work and put on my VR goggles to see my friends and go for a beer and I don't know, maybe go to the casino and stuff in the metaverse, or is it a major gimmick? And are we all just going to realize that actually real life is probably better? I, I couldn't tell you the answer to that. I really couldn't. And I'd love to know the answer. And I'd be really excited to see when I'm when I'm a lot older, what people are doing, because I don't think they're going to be walking down the street with VR goggles on. Um, and I, I suspect maybe there might be a, a bit of a hybrid metaverse with AR, AR goggles and stuff that, that say, for example, Google are producing, where you're you have this AR feature that obviously is associated to that, and the metaverse kind of is your digital nomad self, and you can pay for things via the metaverse, and you can order stuff like you can maybe order a, a takeaway from a takeaway shop, and it actually gets delivered to your house in real life. And that that part, the hybrid hybrid connection to the real life and the digital life is really critical and key to a success of a metaverse, I believe. I'm excited to um, excited to have a marketplace with inside the metaverse where you can walk around a gallery, an art gallery, and, and buy an NFT directly with inside the metaverse. You you view it like a, in in real in real life or on your VR goggles, and you you just hit buy, and then it turns up in your wallet, and it's a real real nice experience. Okay, so what else do you think the listeners need to know? Uh, around NFTs and Cardano? I feel like the Cardano NFTs, for example, obviously I'm 100% committed to the Cardano blockchain and ecosystem. And the volume that Cardano does isn't the volume that Ethereum does. And there's so much more room for people to join this space, get involved, develop, come up with really cool ideas and utility to offer the users of Cardano because they're they're crying out for more and more utility, more and more cool ideas, more features to get behind. And there is such a great community out there that they're willing to invest their time and effort and money into whatever project comes along next. And it's such an exciting space to be involved in. And we are only at the beginning. So there are some changes coming to uh, the crypto world, specifically around Ethereum. There's a shift that's happening, uh, Ethereum 1 versus 2, and I think it's something around proof of stake. You want to talk a little bit about the differences between Cardano and Ethereum and, and some of the changes that are taking place? Yeah, for sure. So um, with the Ethereum, you're talking about the uh, Ethereum 1 and Ethereum 2. There was this thing called the London Hard Fork. People in the community think that they've split the chain in half, and once, yeah, now so now it's a proof of stake, and it's a um, depreciating asset on Ethereum too. But going back to Cardano, Cardano is a very academic-based blockchain which has been peer-reviewed 
by a number of excellent people, very clever people. And Cardano, I guess I've seen I've seen this motto before, and it's banks the unbanked. Um, they have some really great partnerships with some African countries. And for example, they they have this um, thing called a digital ID that uses the blockchain technology for people with inside um, less fortunate countries that don't have the the ability to offer credit or to to offer title deeds to houses and imagine living in a country where you don't actually have a credit f- score and we probably take it for granted living in sort of the western world where you can just go to a bank you can type in your details and you can apply for credit and you can buy things that you might need all the way up to a house and these these developing countries don't have this and the, the blockchain has come in it's sustainable. You can use the blockchain. And basically, this digital ID is such a great idea because when you're sort of not when you're born, but when you're of an age, you get this digital ID. And say, for example, you get your education that lives in your digital ID. You then, if you go to hospital, all your hospital records live in your digital ID. Um, if you buy a house, your title deeds are attached to your digital ID. Um, because I re- remember listening to the African. Cardano Summit, and um, they were talking about how do you how do you know who owns the house if if someone dies in the village, how do you know who owns that house? And the way they do it at the moment is just ask the oldest person in the village, and what they say is is true. But imagine actually having this piece of paper or or not piece of paper anymore, this digital ID that you can use to actually authenticate that you own own this. The best thing as well is you can authorize connections to your digital id and then you can also deauthorize them as well so it's really secure and you can see exactly who's connecting to you and who's not so if for example you're applying for a job you can give your potential employer the connection to your education and maybe they might maybe your job might require you to have a medical so you can give them access to your medical records once you've done all the approving and the in the checks and say you were unsuccessful in your job you could just disconnect that na- that company from your account and all your details still are yours and they live they live with you and you have complete control over what you say and do with all that data and that is really really powerful and that's something that the western world probably doesn't have so what would you say to folks that are concerned about privacy um concerned about committing their private records to a blockchain and the somewhat unproven technology well i feel like the um having that power to to visualize where your connection where that data is connected to and, and who's connected to you and being able to easily and quickly turn that off because once you know that you've turned that off that that data is no longer shared with that that end user or the company or the government whoever's requested that data will no longer receive that it's, it's almost like the google drive um with a, a shared document you can see exactly who who has access and who doesn't and you can obviously change the settings to say yeah, you can still view this file or you can't view this file. And that technology we don't have in the UK. We, we're, we're not, I wouldn't be able to say to the, the NHS, right, you need to cut off my medical records to, to whatever company might be, might be embedded into that. Um, I, don't, I don't know who accesses my medical records. I have no, no way of telling. But imagine if I could just log into my phone in a nice app and see exactly who's connected to my medical records and I can remove them from my my personal thing, my personal details is bringing, is giving me the power back. Interesting. So, so in essence, it's enhanced security um, 
through visibility of who actually has access. That's an interesting concept. Now, what about the concept of stolen NFTs or stolen uh, assets? Yeah, so I think there's two two ways of that question. Um, the first one is maybe stolen ideas. Obviously, everyone has probably, if you know of NFTs, you probably know of Board Eight Yacht Club. So Board Eight Yacht Club is a major project on the Ethereum blockchain, and it's probably probably I would say the most famous. NFT collection out there. On Cardano, there has been some attempts of very close inspiration from this project. And some people obviously do not support that. I guess what we say to people as a message from the sort of the marketplace point of view is you have the power or the ability to buy the assets if you would like if you like them, you have the the power. No one's making you buy these things. No one's making you press that send button and type in the transaction details. The second point to that question, I guess, would be there has been many copied NFTs stolen because obviously you can, everyone knows that you can right click and press save as and you download that image. That is really obvious and you can just go through that whole minting process again. But this is where going back to the policy ID and the asset ID is really, really important. The policy ID is there for you to be able to verify that that policy is directly connected to the project. And if you can't verify that that policy ID is connected to the project, then you know it's a fake. There is companies out there such as pool.pm, um, and that's a Cardano blockchain explorer. And if there is a copy of an NFT, so they suspect it to be a fake NFT because it doesn't match, the, the name of the asset doesn't match the policy ID that it's, it's expecting, then it will show that it says copy on, the, on their asset on CNFT's marketplace. We actually verify um, policy IDs manually, and we have a team of people who do that. And it's quite, it's quite time-consuming, don't get me wrong. Um, but we obviously do that to ensure that our customers are confident in buying a genuine asset associated directly to that project. Um, and we display a little tick symbol, like the Twitter blue tick. We display that tick symbol, and you know that you, you're confident in buying a verified asset. So what, what does that process look like? In terms of validation, how are you ensuring that that someone's not purchasing a fake or a duplicated uh, piece of art? Yeah, absolutely. We would our, our validators they they check whenever someone submits a a pull request on GitHub, um, submitting their policy ID, um, they verify that 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 policy that project who have submitted the policy ID one isn't a fake. It looks genuine. There's a Twitter account associated to that. They've published their policy ID. Their website is live. They actually have artwork that isn't matching any other artwork. Our systems also check to make sure that there isn't a, a project with the same name as well. So someone couldn't come along and say Space Buds, and then also someone else couldn't submit another project with the same policy ID called Space Buds as well, or sorry, a different policy ID with the same name. So we have all these steps in place. Um, Obviously, that's, it raises a very good point, actually, and it's just making making me think about cross-chain verification um, because at the moment we're in the echo chamber of Cardano and we don't actually check necessarily for a board ape policy ID because obviously the Ethereum blockchain is completely different as, we, as we've mentioned this whole way through. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, very good point and maybe that's something that I need to bring up with, with the validators to just sort of maybe look a bit wider and out and outside of the Cardano space as a whole. Um, so yeah, it is possible that it is possible that these fake 
fake or copycat NFT projects can get through um, and mint onto the, the chain. But I think enough people out there are willing to call out these copycat projects. And you will see it on Twitter that when a project comes along, they go hard with the marketing. And then all of a sudden, well, someone will someone will do like a Google image search or or something. Do you know where you can download the image? You can you can whack it into Google and, and it, it just displays that it was a stock image or it was something and it's not really owned by that person. And the community are very good at calling people out and, and stuff. And obviously, as, as the marketplace's job, it's, it's us to keep a finger on the pulse and ensure that, that none of these get through. So we kind of covered this really briefly, but can you talk about smart contracts? What's the, the functionality associated with a smart contract and, and how do they work? So to put it really simply, um, for within the side of the marketplace, we have a smart contract that um, I guess you could look at as kind of like maybe an if statement. So when when you go to list an asset, you will say, I'm going to list it for 100 ADA. And then it will say, if someone pays me 100 ADA for this asset, then I allow this asset to be sent to that user. And I also accept 100 ADA for that. And then obviously, with inside the smart contract, it does all the magic. So it receives 100 ADA. It also receives the asset because it's already in the smart contract. And obviously, we're in the middle and we're just handling all of that. We take our fee again and we make the swap and we we trade it obviously instantly because each step has been confirmed with inside the smart contract. A smart contract also is is decentralized in the way that we don't have any effect over the smart contract and we can't we can't interfere with the smart contract. So once you've you have control over that. So if you've got something listed, you list it into the smart contract. There isn't anything really we can do with with that asset. Like it's not we can't escape the contract into our own wallet. No one can come along and take that because the the way the smart contract is written is it's looking for a parameters of of rules to say either if you want to delist it, it will go back to your wallet that you sent it from. If you want to sell it, then it will go to the person who's paid for it and that ADA will go to the wallet that you listed it with. Okay, I'm, I'm starting to picture it. But where do the smart contracts live? Are they in the same document as the NFT or are they are they separate in the blockchain? A smart contract lives separate um, because it's the smart contract is you can look at it as kind of its own its own wallet. Um, when you when you do set things to the smart contract, so when you interact with the smart contract, you submit you would submit your asset or you would submit something to that, and that's sort of how you interact with it. It's not necessarily attached to the NFT, but the smart contract is listening for the NFT to be received into that contract. And then once the criteria or parameters have been fulfilled, that is happy. And then it can fulfill its its end goal, which is to transfer the asset and transfer the ADA into the right accounts. Basically like a validator, it, it validates that what you're saying you're doing is is correct and, and will happen instantaneously. Because why would you want to have anything manual when you can have stuff automated? That sounds a lot like a trigger. <laughs> okay. Well, Professor Cardano, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? No, thanks for having me. Um, I'm not too sure. If if you're looking at getting into uh, NFTs um, on the Cardano blockchain, visit cnft.io. We're on Twitter. We have a support account. We have Discord. We have a large community who are willing to support you and, and help you on this journey. Thank you so much for using MongoDB. Make sure you plan to come back and share those updates with us and the audience. Thanks once again. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out cnft.io for your NFT marketplace needs. You can follow Professor Cardano on Twitter at Profess Cardano, hashtag CNFT. MongoDB World is returning to New York City. Yep, MongoDB World 2022, the future runs on MongoDB. It's a conference for creators, disruptors, and transformers of tomorrow. You can register today. Head on over to mongodb.com slash world 2022. Join us from June 7th through the 9th for three days of announcement-packed keynotes, hands-on workshops, deep-dive technical sessions that'll give you the tools you need to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. We've got a special offer for you, folks. There's a, a discount code. It's PODCAST. Use the code PODCAST to get 25% off the currently already discounted rate. Head on over to mongodb.com slash world 2022. Remember to use the code podcast for your special discount.